Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Episode 49, Abide in Me, by Keith Daniel. How much time do you spend with God alone? Do you have a quiet time each day set aside for scripture reading and prayer and meditation? Drawing on the image of the vine in John 15, Keith Daniel passionately advocates for a daily devotional time to abide in him. He argues that this time is the key to holy living. If we commune with God consistently, then we could draw on the strength we receive then to walk with God the rest of the day. Daniel believes this time is always under attack, so you have to fight for it each and every day. Here now is Keith Daniel in a short message, Abide in Me. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, believe him, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. That it may bring forth more fruit. That it may bring forth more fruit, God says. Verse 3, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Are you? I love these words that Christ said. Now ye are clean through the word. Not through the blood. There's that cleansing which you can't get another step toward God unless you've gone through the blood. But do you know the cleansing through the word? Sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. You know that cleansing, that sanctifying power of the word that cleanses your life, that changes your priorities, your values. Everything in life changes through the word. Nothing else is going to do that. Don't just say it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the word to change every single priority you have in life. Have you been so changed and so clean from that which is wrong in God's eyes? Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken, all the words of Christ recorded and illuminated and expounded on through the New Testament. Everything cleanses you of God's Word. You're clean to it. And then in the next verse comes the most important word God has ever said to a Christian in the whole Bible. There's no verse in the entire Scriptures which is so vital, held out by God to you and I the moment we find vital reality. For unless this verse is a reality in my life, then the fires won't do anything but bring bitterness. And make me the most unchristlike person on earth. If this isn't the case. You see, this is the vital thing now. Because without this, even God's deepest fires won't do anything but ruin you and destroy you. This is the crux to bring forth fruit. Verse 4, abide in me. Do you? Do you do the one thing that matters more than anything else in life? Listen carefully. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except to abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. Trust him. He knows. If he promises you that the one thing that will bring forth fruit in the fires, in the deepest trials, in the tragedies, in the suffering that will come upon you, believe me, the one thing will happen if he promises you, and I he says, if a man, he that abideth in me and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Trust him, preachers. Without God you, you can't do anything. 
You have to abide in him. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, here comes the tragedy. Here comes the tragedy. No matter what God does, there longs to be done. He trusts you with hardships and difficulties. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Now, I don't know what that means. I've heard preachers preaching on these verses. And I had to get up and walk out weeping at what they were trying to tell men God was saying there. I can't preach on these verses. Forgive me. I just leave this between you and God also. That's all I'm capable of doing. I haven't got the ability to preach what God means here. Forgive me. And no preacher ever challenged me for saying this. No preacher on earth. And I say it to you. I don't know what it means, but I leave it between you and God. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. You can be sure of it. You can be sure of it. It is withered. Men gather them, cast them into the fire, they are burned. If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask, but ye will it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. This is what glorifies God, the fruit that comes in your life. It is a result of abiding in him. Now I want you to turn to the same writer who recorded in John the gospel according to John. Now he expounds on what Christ said about abiding in him in 1 John, the first epistle of John, the first letter of John. He takes what he recorded word for word that we've been reading of what Christ says and now he expounds and he tells us what Christ meant by abiding in him and why Christ told us that this is the most vital thing for anything of any reality to come in your life. No matter what God does, the one thing you've got to do is abide in him. Otherwise there's no fruit. The one thing he expects of you, the one thing he can't force you to do, the one thing you must do, and why? This is in what God says through John as he expounds now what Christ meant. Let's start in 1 John chapter 2 verse 3. Hereby we do know that we know him. Hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, if we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. That's not me saying it, sir, that's God. You're a liar. Tragedy is you're lying to yourself. And that's a tragedy. But if God says this is the truth, don't argue with him. Hereby we do know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he that saith, I know him. Do you say you know him? He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God protected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him. Here comes this verse, this word. That Christ said is the one thing that matters for you to survive, for you to bear fruit. For this terrible thing not to happen upon your life, that I don't even understand if you don't abide him. He that saith, he does the one thing that matters. Do you say you do that, sir? Do you say you abide in him? He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. He that saith in this building, that I do the one thing that matters in God's eyes from my side, the one thing that matters in Christianity once I'm born again. You could say there's ten things. I say there's one thing. If you do the one thing, he that saith, he abideth in him. I'm doing it. Ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Do you in your home? Do you in your church? Do you at your work? Do you towards your enemy? Do you walk even as he walked? Do you walk as Christ? He that saith, he abideth in him of himself also, so to walk even as he walked. And we turn in the same chapter to the last two verses. Now, little children, verse 28. 
Little children, abide in him. Here it comes again. Abide in him. Why? He always tells us why. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him it is coming. Beloved, if you're not abiding in him, you will be ashamed before him it is coming. Otherwise, the word of God is not true. If you don't think that's possible, what is God speaking about? If you're not doing this, you will be ashamed. God says. Otherwise, you're calling God a liar. Little children, abide in him. Do this one thing that matters. This great priority for all God's people. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. Before him it is coming. Chapter 3, verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. There's no victory in Jesus Christ outside of this one thing. There's no such a thing. You can come out a thousand times through your life and weep at the front of a building. But until you do the great discipline of abiding in Christ, you will never know victory over the things that are calling, causing you to fail and taking the wind out of your testimony. Taking away the right for you to cry to the whole world that you belong to Christ. Oh, but if you abide in Him, God says there's victory. Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Sinneth not. That's an amazing verse from God. Whosoever abideth in Him. This abiding in Christ. This abiding in Christ is not an act of faith. Where I say I'm in the body of Christ and by faith I accept I'm in Christ. I'm in the body of Christ. It has nothing to do with faith. This abiding in Christ, every word Christ uttered, every word John is uttering about what Christ said, this abiding in Christ has nothing to do with faith. This is a discipline. A discipline that will cost you more than anything else in life because Satan has more fear of this one thing that he will find in you than anything else he will see in you. He will fight this daily, every opportunity, every moment to keep you from this abiding in Christ. The discipline of communing with God. We boil it down to a quiet time. Without the quiet time, there's no foundation to abide in Christ, to commune with God in a consistent way. The quiet time. This abiding in Christ is a discipline that Satan will fight to keep you from all your life till the day you die. And that makes it cost. Let me tell you, it's not the easiest thing on earth for most of us to make that time real with God. To find God. How vital are you with the quiet time? How vital are you in abiding in Christ? Do you know what a quiet time is? Many people think get into a room, shut the door, read your chapters, have your time of prayer, and then you get up and go. That was your quiet time. That's not a quiet time. A quiet time, beloved, is when you get along with God in your most private chamber, room, perhaps people see you there, that can't be helped if you live in a home. But you're there for God, not for men's eyes. Never, not once. Otherwise you grieve God being there. And you stay there with God alone in that room. And you soak yourself in the Word, hearing His voice primarily just to hear the Word. Never open the Bible unless you open it expecting God to speak to you. Otherwise you open it wrongly, even if you're a preacher. You commune with God. You spend your time with God. A quiet time is when the Holy Spirit says to you, no one else, and you know it's God himself speaking, now my child, you may rise. For now you will walk with me through this day. A quiet time is not getting up and leaving and saying I had an hour with God or two hours. A quiet time is getting up, opening the door and saying now as a result of this I will walk with God. If that isn't the case, you didn't have a quiet time. This 
has to be the most protected, guarded, nurtured time of your day, every day of your life. And if it is not the most loved, cherished, protected, guarded moment of your life every day, then you're backslidden. If there's anything else that is more guarded or protected or loved by you, if there's anything that comes near the time you have with God, if there's anything, if this isn't the most guarded, protected, cherished, Nursed time every day of your life, then you're utterly vexed, not a little bit that You are a grief to God if this isn't your greatest priority in life every day of your life. You measure how real you are by the quiet time, nothing else. How real are you communing with God? How vital is it with you? How precious is it to you? You can't measure anything else by how vital you are with God but your quiet time. You're as real as your quiet time. Don't doubt it. You are as real as the time you spend with God that makes you walk with God and nothing else. Nothing else you can attribute to the fact that you walk with God other than the time you discipline to lay everything. Nothing will keep you from. You know, my father, my father was one of the godliest men I ever knew in my life. If I have to name on my one hand the holiest men of God I ever knew in my life, my father was one of them. I say that from my heart. I thank God for him. Oh, Daddy walked with God. I remember as a young fellow when Daddy came to God, when he was saved. How faithful he was to the quiet time. Nothing ever kept him from God. Nothing ever kept my father from God. No one, nothing kept my father from God. No matter what the devil did. I shall never forget the first time we had visitors that my father did this to us. That he so shook us, my mother began to choke in embarrassment at what my father did when he found God in reality. We had guests, and he did this through the years. But the first time was the shock, when none of us knew what was coming or what was happening. It was always a certain time, it was never a different time. If the guests stayed a bit longer than they ought to, you know what daddy did. He stood up, and that first night he stood up, shook us. Tears came down his face. He didn't find it easy. He wasn't putting on a show. He said, you've got to forgive me. I want to be excused. I'm not being rude. I don't want to offend you. Please stay with my wife and my children. But I have to be excused. You see, I have to go to be with Jesus. And I have to spend so much time. He gave a time with Christ. Otherwise, I can't sleep. My conscience won't allow it. And if I don't finish the quiet time at this time... And I won't be able to get enough sleep to get up at this time. He gave the time. I won't be able to spend the time. And he gave how many hours he spent that I need to spend with God. And then I won't be able to walk with God as I know I ought to. The only reason I'll be able to walk as I know I ought to with God is the time I spend. Please forgive me for excusing myself that I cannot miss the time with God now or tomorrow morning. And for that reason, please forgive me. And he turned and walked out. You know, my mother choked from embarrassment that he did that to her in front of our guests. We had to help her literally to stop choking. But I'll never forget how he stood up again and again, never failed, and mommy would stand. And I looked at my mother's face through the years. She stood as my father stood, and she looked at him with respect. She looked at him with no argument, with utter respect, because she knew this is why my husband walks with God. She knew. I watched people, some of them world-renowned preachers in our home, who stood. When my father said those words, and I've never seen a person not having tears coming down their eyes as they met a man, sometimes for the first time in their lives, that nothing, no one, no matter who it was visiting, no one was more important than God. 
No one would keep them from God from the time they had to be with God to stay real, to not be a grief to God, to guard and protect. This time that makes you able to not be ashamed before it is coming if he comes today. Nothing else will be reason that you are not ashamed. My daddy was real through the Christ time. How real are you? You're as real as your Christ time. I remember my children. My children, before little Samuel was born, I had two other boys. No, Roy. They're big boys now. When they were little also, quite a few years ago, they knocked at my door when I was praying. And there I came to the door and I looked at my two boys. I said, what is it? And they said, Daddy, it's late. You've got to come. We're going to be late. And I said, but we're not going to be late. I know what time. They said, but Daddy, it is late. You must come now. How long are you going to stay in there? Don't stay so long. Please, Daddy, come. And I looked at these boys and I said, after a little prayer, I said, listen, Noel, and Roy, listen carefully to Daddy. Until the day I die, I don't want you to ever knock on this door again. Unless it's a matter of life or death. Now, don't ever forget that. And I want to tell you why, my boys. I can take you to the homes of preachers across this country, of South Africa. I can take you to the homes of preachers who preach the gospel, preach what daddy's preaching, whose children weep because their fathers can preach but they can't live. I don't know how many children in preachers' homes have got beside me and wept their little hearts out because of the ugliness of their daddy's life. My boys, the only reason you won't weep through me is this time. The only reason I will ever be able to be for you what you would want from the Father, what God would want, is this time. Don't ever hurry me again, boys, or you'll be weeping through this man that I preach. Boys, the only reason you'll ever see your mother not weeping through me is this time. I can take you to the home of a few hundred preachers whose homes I've been in, boys whose wives weep daily. Is that possible, you say? They weep because of their husband's life. He can preach. He can find time to prepare sermons that stagger the crowds. But he can't live it because he doesn't find time for God. He's too busy with God's work to find time for God, and so his family weep. Oh, that's a tragedy, you preachers. I hope it's not your case. Boys, if you don't want to see your mother weeping through this preacher, don't ever hurry me with this time because this is the only reason I can be, a, be what I need to be to your mother and to you. Don't ever hurry me again, boys. And they never did. Not once have they ever knocked on my door again when they knew I was praying. No matter what came, no matter how late they thought it was. Oh, how real are you? You're as real as your quiet time. You're as vital as your quiet time. You're as safe as your quiet time. I hope you know that. I'm going to say something that will shock you now. And some people don't believe a person should preach this from the pulpit of God, but I'm going to. One of the things that has hurt me more than anything else, that aged me more than anything else on earth, is how many preachers are falling into sin across the world of the evangelical church. Do we dare tell the world that's happening? Oh, let me tell you, it's on some of the front pages of the newspapers. 
There's not a person in town, no matter what town it is, that isn't speaking about it. Don't tell me not to preach about it and tell them why. We need to tell the world why. Why do some of our greatest preachers fall into sin? And there's not a denomination left where some of the greatest and many of the denominations, the greatest preacher they ever had of evangelical holiness churches, not only South Africa, I guarantee you, across your land, There's not a denomination that can point a finger and say, it's you crowd. You're all superficial. Why? One of the things that have aged me is that in this time, for the last few years, good few years, when preachers fall into sin in my land, and also other countries I've been, they somehow get hold of me, this poor man, and they say, you're coming. And I said, no, please. I shattered that man's feet. 40,000 have come to God through his ministry. I could never walk into him and tell him what to do now. You're coming. I've argued with God about it. I don't want this, Lord. And they get me there. You know what they do? Always. Put me into the room. Shut the door and everybody go. There I'm alone with this preacher now. The whole world is staggering over. The people who he brought to Christ in their thousands and thousands and thousands through the anointing of God in his life. Now all stumbling over the man, stumbling, staggering. Now he's bringing blasphemy upon God's name. The man who was through you so much that you know the devil's using through what's happening. Fall into sin. Terrible, shameful sin. And everybody's staggering across the country through the man that once stood up with a Bible. And there I look at the man and you know what I do? I weep. I weep. Every time I just weep and weep and weep. And then for the first time some of them start weeping. They haven't wept a tear no matter what happens. And they start weeping. And they see someone weeping so for them. And I've looked at these men and I've never ever asked them what went wrong. I've never ever once said what went wrong. I've always told them what went wrong. You neglected God. Or this would never have happened. You neglected God for God's work. And the work of God became sin. Your sin was not this woman. This woman would never have happened. If you didn't have a greater sin. Oh sir, the devil cannot touch you if you're faithful to the quiet child. I can't give you much that I can guarantee, but one of the few things I can hold out with a guarantee is Satan cannot touch you if your quiet time is the greatest priority of your life. God had protected that little never, nothing, no one will keep you from. Your children know it, your visitors know it, the world knows it. Satan can do nothing but bide his time. And sir... When God anointed you as he did to lead so many to Christ when you were with God in the pulpit. I guarantee you were real with a quiet time. Otherwise God would not have been with you like that. And Satan looked at you and all he could do is bide his time. I can do nothing with this man. No good sending a woman saying I want spiritual help but all she really wants is you. No good sending such a woman. No good sending a woman dressed wrongly. He'll be disgusted. No, he's, he's faithful to the quiet time. He'll never ever fall for such things. Satan can do nothing but bide his time. And he bide his time, he bid his time all these years, I guarantee you, until a moment came in your life that Satan looked at you and he saw something happen that he set up. He saw you missing the quiet time. And Satan said, Ah, ah, now I'll get him. Now I'm going to get him. And he got you, sir. He got you. 
you know what the men do? I don't know one of the ministers. I won't tell you how many I've had to pray with. In these last years of how many have fallen to sin that I've heard. Not one did not get on their knees, some on their faces and weep out aloud. God, it's true. Oh, God, God, it's send this man. This is why I sin. Never until I got too busy for God himself did these things happen. Only when I got too busy with God's work that I didn't meet with God. I didn't neglected God. That became my sin. That's why all this has happened, Lord. I know it. Every single one acknowledged it was when they started neglecting the quiet time. Sin came. Even if you're a preacher in the pulpit. Even if you're David. Who God was with to bring a nation to victory. I don't care who you are. Neglect God and the world will be staggering over you. Neglect God. Neglect your quiet time. Neglect the communion with God. If that's not the greatest priority. In life, you're in trouble, sir. I don't care who you are, even if you've got 20 degrees behind your name, even if you've left 40,000 people to Christ, sir, you will bring shame on Christ soon if you're neglecting the quiet time for God's work. I guarantee you. I guarantee you that. The greatest miracle you will ever see in your life is not to see someone in this building right now who is stone dead, raised from the dead. And we all stand here shouting hallelujah. The greatest miracle you'll ever see in your life is if you're neglecting God. And you're not in sin. That's the greatest miracle I think you'll ever see in your life. Because that's a miracle to me. You're as safe as your quiet time. You're as real as your quiet time. And Satan cannot touch you. He cannot touch you if your quiet time is the greatest love of your life and everybody on earth knows it. Because you don't neglect it for anyone. You will never neglect God for anyone. A quiet time. My brother was saying here this morning as he read the Psalm 23 to us. Have you ever prayed through the Psalms? Do you know what Luther said? Luther said, if I can't pray through, then I sing the Psalms. And he said, I learned something. The Psalms are the schoolmaster of how to pray. I learned how to pray as I began to sing. And not once did I ever get on my knees and start singing the Psalms as prayer to God that I wasn't lifted into the presence of God. I was lifted into the presence of God as I sang the Psalms. You know, Wesley said the same. I heard my daddy singing one day. He sang there and it's quiet. He didn't know I was listening to him singing the old Wesley's hymns. The hymns born in revival, not these superficial hymns. Born when men were dying for their faith and doctrine. Cost to believe in truth. And they wrote it. And we sang it in triumph in our belief. As God swept through the nation because we stood for truth and wouldn't compromise. Not even in our hymns. I heard my daddy singing. I said to him one day, Daddy, do you always sing? How much of your quiet time do you spend singing? He said, only when I battle to pray. It's possible you're going to battle to pray. That doesn't mean you're backslidden. But you've got to learn. You've got to nurture. You've got to guard. This is the most important thing in life, that this works. Do what works. Daddy said to me, it worked for Luther. It worked for Wesley. It worked for Andrew Murray. All of them did it. When they couldn't get through, they sang. So I sing and I, it works for me. I get through to God. If I can't pray, I start singing and I get through to God. Luther only had the old Psalms, which are rich enough to make us giants with God if we take them to heart. But the hymns are our heritage that Luther started writing. They're there. Wesley's hymns. Do what works. If you get on your knees in the morning and you fall asleep, don't get on your knees. Don't do what doesn't work. Don't lie to yourself. Two hours on your knees of sleep is, is wasted. 
rather half an hour with God in vital prayer standing up and two hours lying to yourself and God that you're getting through to God. Don't do what doesn't work. If you get on your knees and you fall asleep, don't ever get on your knees. Get up. Rather wash your face. Have some tea or coffee. Do a bit of exercise, young men. If you find you can't keep a clear mind, do something, but do it for one reason. Everything. Get to bed. Get to bed when you know you should so you can get up so that you don't neglect God in your quiet time. Don't let people keep you. It has to be times you're late. It's true. God doesn't stand over you and whip you as we heard today when you make a mistake or when you can't, when things are a bit out of your hand. But discipline your whole life around the quiet time. That nothing is done that you aren't thinking of the time with God. Even the time you go to bed. Even what you do when you wake up. I've been an old man, a godly man, who was used to win thousands and thousands to Christ. Bertram Friend, in his old age, I saw him walking when our country in South Africa, there was blood flowing everywhere. It was dangerous to walk out in the streets. Dangerous to walk between the, out in the countryside. And there in Cape Town, we have this magnificent mountain. And here was his old godly Bertram Friend walking along the road. All the lonely trees, the beauty of our trees, but lonely. And I pulled a car up next to him and said, Mr. Friend, what are you doing here? He said, oh, I'm going to help Bay. I said, sir, you're going to get hurt. They're killing people. You can't be out here in the loneliness. Well, no, I want to walk. Please, Mr. Friend, get in the car. You're going to get hurt. He turned to me, this old man, and tears came down his face. He said, Keith, I'm praying. I'm talking to Jesus. I can't get on my knees anymore because I fall asleep in my old age. The only way I can pray with a clear mind is if I walk. And so I walk. One reason, I'm talking to God. I'm in touch with God, boy. You're disturbing me. Go. And I went. Do what works. Do anything but make sure it works. Don't lie about the quiet time. Don't say you're having a quiet time if you're not. Don't lie to yourself. Get through with God. Soak yourself in the Word of God. But if it doesn't work, pray. Andrew Murray said, ten minutes, ten minutes. Praying that God will bring me into the right mind that I can accept His voice. And be in touch with His voice that I don't lose what God would say. I only after ten minutes begin to read of intense prayer with God that I will be prepared to accept from God's heart for me what He has for me today. Or be real with the quiet time. It's all that matters is abiding in Christ so that as a result of the quiet time you don't leave God behind. But you open the door and you walk with him through the day. That is abiding in Christ. Nothing else. I want every single one of you sitting here today. I don't care if you're preachers. I don't care if you've led 40,000 to Christ. I don't care if you've read books, written books in the name of Christ that people have read. I don't care if you're elders. I don't care if you're youth leaders. I don't care if you're testimony, how great it is that staggered people of what God's done for you. I ask every single person sitting here today, women and men, children, who name the name of Jesus, Every one of you that God is speaking to here, you have neglected God. You are sitting here and you know God is singling you out and saying the one thing that matters you're neglecting. Preacher, even for God's work, you're neglecting it. You're not spending the time you should with God. God's work is keeping you from God. That's your sin. The other things of your failures would never be there. There wouldn't be the other sins if you didn't have this sin. I want every single one of you sitting here today who knows that God is confronting them with the most vital thing in life once you name the name of Jesus and you're guilty. And you desperately need to say, God, it's me. 
I stand in shame and I have neglected God. Even if it's for God's work, I neglect God. I have not made the cry. I haven't protected as I should. I neglect it, Lord. And I want mercy. I want to be washed in the blood from this sin that has been the cause of all the other sins. I've asked for forgiveness as they come all the others, but this is the one sin I need to cry out now for mercy for God. And I want to vow this day I want to vow to God in the sight of men, in the sight of the devil who's watching me, who's tried to keep me from thee. I want to make a vow here that by thy grace, God, by thy grace, and I know it's there, I will never neglect the quiet time again till the day I die. Not for anyone, for anything. I'm not neglecting my children or my wife. By spending the time I must with thee, I can spend so much time with them that they will curse. But if I don't neglect the time with thee, the time, the little time I spend with them, they will regard as precious in their memories for all their lives. I won't neglect the duties of my life, but Lord, nothing, even my wife, even my children, my work, my preaching will never keep me from God himself in vital reality every day that I may walk with God. I vow to thee, Lord, this day, that I will never, by thy grace, I will never neglect the quiet time again. By thy grace, I will discipline the whole of my life that this will be first, and everybody on earth will know it, that I may walk with God. Every single person in this building, I don't care who you are, that is guilty, and that desperately, not a shallow, superficial little cheap calling on you to make a step, it costs to admit this. It costs. But think of what it has cost if you don't let God deal with it. I want those of you that need mercy for this terrible sin, and it is a terrible, terrible sin in your life that needs the blood. It caused more grief to God than the other sins you're thinking of. Those of you that need to be washed in the blood for your neglect of God himself, even if it was for the work of God, and to vow these words to God, that by thy grace I will never, ever neglect the quiet time again, Lord, not one day of my life till the day I die. By thy grace. Those of you that desperately need to say that to God, I want you to stand. I only ask once. And those that stand, I'm going to pray for. Those that are standing, will you bow your heads, please? This is between you and God, not me. Every one of you standing, will you pray these words aloud after me? Father, wash me in the blood from this terrible sin that has been the cause of all my other sins. Forgive me for neglecting God. I vow that by thy grace till the day I die I will never neglect God again. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Can we remain standing, please? I don't know what the custom of your church is. I'm going to ask you, please, if we don't have a hymn, if we don't have singing now, and if you guard your words, if God is speaking to you, please, let everyone try not to butt in. 
I want you to try and get along with God with as little talk with others. At this time, until you've had a time to really speak to God alone. And the way you speak to Him when you get to your homes, I want you to do it every morning and every night. The day you die. I want us to go to our places of quiet, whether it's outside of this building, or in your cars, or underneath this building, or in your homes. Somehow find the most private place you can, as soon as you can. You can't be rude. If there are things that have to be done, you have to do them. God knows. But as soon as you can spend time with Jesus, spend it today. You've got today to do it. Do it. Do it. And never neglect it again. You pray for this poor man. Only God. Only God can change us. No man. Every one of you has to have expectation in God and God alone. Or you'll be deeply disappointed through this week. Every one of you need to show God that your only hope is in Him to bless this week. Will you pray for this poor man that God in mercy will guide me what to preach. Each preacher that must stand here and anoint him and prepare every heart and keep us safe from the devil while we're hearing the words. And if there won't be anybody in this week left that isn't walking with God as they go back to their homes through what God does as a result of your prayers. And if he does anything, it's a result of your prayers, sir. Nothing else, so please pray. Our brother, commit us to God in prayer now. Can we all bow our heads? And then we're going to go in silence. Forgive me if I have in ignorance not known the form of order of your service at the end. I do pray. Can you take this? Thank you. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.